I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Today, what else inside Apple's impressive quarter? Is there even a bear case to be made at this point? Then Facebook shows off its own blowout results, why that stock is ripping higher. And then later, Qualcomm's incoming CEO is going to join us first on CNBC. Another tech stock spiking today as this rally D in big tech gets legs today. Carl, just a massive day for mega cap tech. Apple and Facebook lifting the fang index. The Nasdaq sitting at an all-time record intraday high. Not all a party, though. Nasdaq falling off a little bit, though. Individual names also like ServiceNow and Etsy down sharply on the back of earnings. We will be hitting more of those names throughout the show, John. Have we mentioned it yet? The most important thing in tech today, earnings beats. And we'll start with Apple. Listen to these numbers. Reporting double-digit growth in every product category. iPhone sales up 65% year-over-year. iPad 79% the same period. And shout out to Mark Morrison, who called it 25 years ago, March 1997, return of the Mac. Mac sales up 70%. Apple just one impressive quarter in what's been a series of blowout results for big tech this week. Amazon ahead tonight. The bar is high, I guess. But Qualcomm coming up in just a few minutes as well. Carl, we've been talking for weeks, for months about a chip shortage. But (laughs) whether it's Qualcomm or Apple or so many others, It's interesting who's managed to either work around that or be so premium, so high-end in their offerings that they're at the front of the line when it comes to who gets the chips and who gets the profits in the earnings season just reported. Yep. It also helps when your CEO, at least in the case of Apple D, uh, literally made his career around supply chain logistics. And that comes in handy and it, it paid off in a quarter where they really didn't have a material shortages the way a lot of their peers have. Yeah, it's a good point, Carl. Very, very well taken. Um, And John, what do you even call this? An everything super cycle? I mean, the street, as usual, looking for iPhones and services growth. Instead, what we got, Mac and iPad stealing the show. A lot of that having to do with that M1 chip that I know you've been talking about has really seems to be a game changer. And it's only started, Carl, to, I think, make its presence known in Apple's lineup. They just announced it expanding into the iMac line, into the iPad Pro line. We're just maybe starting to get a sense of the margin impact of this. Uh, Tim Cook hasn't talked about that much, but it's having this interesting effect, I think, on the product line where it's not differentiated by CPU so much. So it'll be interesting to see how Apple differentiates these products by display technology, by memory, by storage, by the software itself. Yep, and the degree to which they pass that baton on to developers, John, which I know you talked about this morning on Squawk. Uh, sticking with Apple, let's bring in Bernstein's uh, Tony Saganaki. Talk more about the quarter and the stock, Tony. Um, I think you, you put it best. You said it really doesn't get better than this. Uh, but your more serious point is that it might have been too good. Can you explain? Sure. No, you're absolutely right. It was a, a fantastic quarter on every single dimension. Um, But we do think that Apple is benefiting from consumer spending shifts due to the pandemic. Uh, Consumers were not going to restaurants. They weren't traveling. 
uh, they were staying at home and working at home and learning from home. And, and that's Apple's sweet spot. They sold a lot more iPads and Macs because of that. They downloaded more, consumers downloaded more apps because of that. Um, they had more money to spend on more, uh, on the highest priced iPhones. And all of those showed up in the quarter. I just think those spending shifts might change um, over the next, you know, three to six quarters as the economy opens up and people start going out to dinner and have disposable income uh, to go on holidays. And, and Apple will then face really, really tough compares and probably not the same level of demand. And, and that's the big question. That's why the stock isn't really doing anything, despite big, big earnings revisions, is um, it was almost too good. And it sets up tough comps. And, and I think because of the secular spending shift, um, I'm not so sure there's going to be as many people lining up to buy all these products a year from now. Hmm. Now, that that line of thinking has gotten some on the street. Uh, you, Goldman's a good example uh, of taking that too far and ending up having to turn tail. Uh, to what to what degree would relative outperformance on the chip shortage, for example, offset some of those concerns you just lined out? Well, look, I, I think the next couple quarters will remain strong because those trends are still in place. There's big backlogs for PCs. There's big backlogs for uh, for we think, you know, remote learning type devices like Chromebooks and, and tablets. And so I think that will persist. But again, it's really important to put this in context. iPad has not grown in five of the last seven years. It grew 79% this quarter. Doesn't that seem to be a disconnect? Mac on average has grown 3% a year for the last five years. It grew 70% this quarter. I mean, clearly those, those numbers are, they're not only fantastic, they're just stratospheric and quite frankly they're they're disconnected from what the secular growth rates of are of these businesses and and the explanation is is that you know there are really really favorable tailwinds at work right here yeah, your incredulousness is not going unnoticed. I think many people feel the same way, Tony, on the back of those numbers. Yet, as you also mentioned, shares are only up about six-tenths of one percent today. If this can't move the stock, which is already an underperformer this year among the big cap tech names, what will? Well, I think I think that's the debate among investors is, um, you know, the stock entered the year expensive for Apple, trading at about 30 times uh, earnings. And numbers have gone up, so the stock has gotten less expensive. But it's still trading at about 25 or 26 times next year's numbers, 2022. Um, when we compare that with Google and Facebook, who had blowout quarters, uh, Facebook's trading at 20 times, um, you know, Bernstein's 2022 estimate for Facebook. Um, it's trading at 22 times Google's estimates. And I think some investors would say, look, those stocks maybe have better secular growth stories. The, the pandemic has, has actually structurally improved advertising. The pandemic has certainly improved work from home for now and improved people's disposable income for iPhones for now. But I think, you know, there's, there's a question mark about whether that will be sustained in Apple's business. And there's a question mark about whether Apple can grow next year. And yet for some of these other tech companies that are trading at similar or cheaper multiples, those questions don't really exist. And, and, and that's why, you know, you're seeing Facebook up 4%. You saw, you know, uh, Google up 4%. All three companies had blowout quarters. Um, but I, I don't think there's the same concern about, you know, what might happen next year as there might be for, for Apple, let's say. Yeah, Tony, let me take the other side of that. Doesn't that just mean that you just got those amazing Apple results for free? 
pretty much, I mean, based on what the stock is doing today. Plus, there's that $90 billion added to the buyback authorization. So you're talking about multiples now that are going to, in a way, change probably over the coming year if Apple's opportunistic, as they have been, about buying their own stock. And you can see that the demand has been there not only for an iPhone super cycle, but also for this new chip of theirs that's going across the Mac and iOS lines, which on paper would seem risky, but we can already see that it's playing out. I think great, great questions, John. Um, look, Apple has become a lot cheaper because earnings have gone up a lot. So it was about 30 times earnings. Now it's about 25 times earnings. Um, but many other tech companies have as well. And this is a relative game. Portfolio managers are always trying to pick, you know, the stock that they view most attractively. Um, and particularly among the top 10 biggest tech stocks as a portfolio manager, you can't own all 10. Um, you're, you're, you're probably picking six to be overweight and, and, and four or five to be underweight. And so there is that relative game. But look, it's a fair point. The market may wake up later this year and say, you know what? These high quality tech stocks are really doing well and they're, you know, and they deserve more love. They deserve a better multiple. With Apple, the multiple, you know, now being 25 times is still the highest point other than the last year at any point in the last seven years. And so it's still it's still expensive. It was just very expensive entering the year. And I think you make a fair point on buybacks. Apple will continue to buy back their stock. We think they'll continue at about the same rate, which is about $20 billion uh, per quarter on a go forward basis. So I, I, I think that's more status quo than than an acceleration. Tony, thank you for joining us. Your insights always appreciated. Thanks for having me. Well, Carl and John, he mentioned it. Facebook's own blowout quarter, a beat of its own, and boosted by revenue rise of 48% year over year. Ad prices went up, so did ads in general, both big catalysts behind that surge today. However, it is still a game of wait and see with regards to the impact of Apple's privacy changes on the platform, with the company bracing for, quote, ad targeting headwinds in the future. Julia, it doesn't seem like investors are too concerned. Those shares up more than five and a half percent this morning. That's right. There was one thing that CFO David Weiner said that I think was crucial. He said the impact on our own business, we think, will be manageable. He was talking about Apple's operating system change. They are now really saying that this is going to have less of an impact on Facebook and more of an impact on small businesses. So reassuring investors there, but also, Deirdre, making the point that they now have a roadmap, a plan to make that impact manageable by investing in commerce and also investing in getting content creators to really work on their platform and do more on their platforms. You know, Julia, some of the frustration of those listening to the call last night was that there hasn't been a, a, a crystal clear discussion with the company about what percentage of U.S. revenue is, is exposed to the change in, uh, in Apple's iOS privacy policy. Have you gotten a good, a good number on that? Well, look, I think the problem is we still don't know how many people are going to opt in and opt out. I have seen so many different estimates, Carl, and they range widely. Some say that 90 percent of ad targeting. Others say 50 percent of people will opt out of ad targeting. So that's a huge difference there. And I think that it's still too soon to say where this is going to pan out. They said, you know, obviously this is only launched on Monday and it's rolling out slowly. So too soon to say there. But I think it's it seems like what the company is trying to do is plan around that and figure out 
how they can keep people on their platform. So if they have yeah. influencers on their platform creating content, you follow the influencer, then you could go immediately make a purchase within Instagram. And if you could do all of that in the Facebook ecosystem, then they're not going to have to worry about tracking you when you go could do things be, outside the Facebook ecosystem. Could it be, Julia, that this isn't really going to matter that much to Facebook's bottom line at all, this iOS change? I mean, Apple delayed it after all, gave these companies time to figure out their workaround. Shantanu Narayan uh, told us you know, this week that really he doesn't see it as a big issue and Adobe's got a big marketing business. Maybe the benefit to Facebook here is they get to say, oh, look at this even bigger company than us that's making this change, that's having an impact on our ecosystem right when governments are trying to look at Facebook as the most dangerous thing in the world. Well, Facebook is saying, no, look over there. Look, somebody's beating up on us. Well, look, I, I, I think Facebook is definitely making the point that they are not a monopoly, that they do have competition and they do have various forces limiting their success. I think that we will see an impact of that, of, of this Apple operating system change this year. But it seems like by the end of this year, that impact will be mitigated. Yeah, so Julia, on that point too, if these ad changes, now they're saying that they're manageable, do you think we'll see them back down on the stance that they've taken? I know that they're sticking up for small businesses, but it's unlikely doing them any favors with users, right? It's kind of putting them on the other side of privacy when you have Apple and even Google now saying that they're going to fight for more privacy controls. Look, I think they made a shift from saying this is bad for Facebook to saying this is bad for small businesses and trying to keep those two things separate. Facebook looks good if it if it seems like an advocate for small businesses, especially when it's in opposition to Apple and its protection of uh, of privacy and that being Apple's stance. So I, I don't know if we're going to see them back down, but I do think they're changing the narrative with investors, certainly, as they try to reassure investors about the impact of this down the road. Well, speaking of reassuring investors, uh, Julia, I mean, the, the revenue guidance for Q2, the street was at 35. Uh, Facebook's guiding to 48 at least. So their view must be that, I mean, at some point we're going to decide that being targeted uh, to some degree is acceptable and interesting. Yeah, I mean, Carl, I have to point to some of the things that Mark Zuckerberg stressed last night about the future of Facebook. Not only did they say that revenue growth was going to either be stable or accelerating beyond the 48 percent revenue growth reported from the first quarter, but they also put out this roadmap of all of these other things that are going to generate revenue down the line. It's shopping, e-commerce, as I mentioned. It's also investing in the creator economy, getting people to not only make content for Facebook, but to figure out how to make money. For making content for Facebook and Instagram. And then you also have augmented and virtual reality, which is something we talk about a lot, but I think still seems very much early days and as something that could be a real moneymaker for the company. So I think that there was a lot of reassurance. You know, we talked about reassurance of investors that not only is the revenue roadmap there in terms of advertising, but advertising demand is there as well. It was the 30% increase in price per ad that really drove the revenue up 48% in the quarter. And they said that ad demand looks strong for the rest of the year. Yeah, as Discovery said yesterday, uh, I think Zaslav said that uh, scatters 50% up from the upfront, which is an amazing backdrop. If you do sell ads, Julia, that's a great way to help our viewers understand a difficult and complex story that is Facebook. As for Apple, um, what's not to like? Brings us to crowdsource today. You tell us. Hit us up on Twitter. Scan the QR code on your screen. Make the bear case for AAPL. We're going to show off some of the best answers, John, at the end of the show. 
<laughs> I want to see those bear cases. All right. Qualcomm's CEO on earnings is next as that stock goes higher. Big hour tech check straight ahead. Time for a gut check on our parent company, Comcast, uh, beating the top and the bottom line this morning. Quarterly results with a 55% rise in profit driven by strength in broadband and wireless. Uh, the streaming platform Peacock also getting a boost, adding 9 million more users to the sub. Now 42 million as uh, cable continues to lose subscribers across the industry. Despite shares being uh, more than 60% off of their 52-week lows, still underperforming the S&P and NASDAQ since January. But definitely some good internal metrics at our parent, John. Indeed, Carl. And now, shares of Qualcomm getting a nice pop after beating analyst estimates. The company's revenue jumping 52%, uh, percent boosted by strong handset shipments in China. Joining us now, incoming CEO Cristiano Amon uh, takes over June 30th. Uh, Cristiano, good to see you. Uh, we were just talking last night. Uh, chip supply shortages have been a theme this year, and yet we get these results from Qualcomm, the results we were just talking about from Apple. Is it just that... Companies with resources and good planning are able to work around this and allocate in the areas that are most pop, uh, popular and profitable. Hi, John. Good to see you. Good morning. Um, you know, I, I think you're right. At the end of the day, uh, we have been, uh, you know, utilizing our scale. I think utilize our planning capabilities and uh, try to navigate to this crisis. As we said in the call, we have line of sight to significant material improvement to supply and get the ability to match supply and demand as close as we can as we get to the end of the calendar year. And still with this very challenging supply environment, we had continued to generate growth in the quarter, in the guide, and I think we're very happy with the company performance. So you take over in just over 60 days. We give us a preview. Smartphones are a maturing market. And uh, with 5G, though, you're getting a bigger share of wallet in, in overall devices. So what's the game plan for Qualcomm to continue growth and profit growth in particular in a significant way when the bread and butter, kind of the main thing that's driven you to this point, at least recently, is maturing? Look, the, the way to look about Qualcomm, you need to think about us like in two different pieces. And I'll start with the thing you just mentioned, our mobile strategy. We have an incredible opportunity. You don't see this happening. You don't see this happening that you have a mature market like phones and all of a sudden within the fiscal year, a $10 billion SAM becomes available. So as the Huawei volume starts to move to our other customers, it creates an incredible opportunity for growth. We can grow faster in the market, in a mature market, and it it, it underscores our strategy, which is our mobile strategy is really focused on premium and high Snapdragon. Qualcomm Snapdragon Premium now is equal to Android Premium Experience, and uh, we are going to really focus to capture this opportunity. As I said before, it doesn't happen often that you have a mature market that all of a sudden a $10 billion SAM becomes available within the fiscal year. Cristiano, good morning. It's Deirdre. China was a bright spot this quarter. How much has the export ban on Huawei and its declining smartphone market share over there contributed to your growth? And how do you see that playing out in future quarters? The way to think about it, right, at the, as Huawei was a very successful uh, OEM in volume, very focused on premium and high tier, and, uh, and Qualcomm has been serving all of the other Chinese uh, OEMs, uh, 
Vivo, Oppo, Xiaomi. As, as Huawei uh, volume declines as a result of uh, the sanctions, you know, that volume started to pick, being picked up by other OEMs. And Qualcomm's a company very well hedged. If, if Apple wins, we win. Samsung wins, we win. And Vivo, Oppo, Xiaomi wins, we win. So we're very well hedged. And that is showing up in the opportunity that we have ahead. And, and it's also getting new OEMs. So one of the Huawei spin out was Honor, and it's our customer right now. And we expect to have significant business with Honor going forward. And uh, that's how is this materializing and a great opportunity for us even in fiscal 22. Cristiano, there are some ways in which if Apple wins, you don't win. And I'm thinking earlier this week, Apple came out uh, with this press release, this report about ways that they are investing, putting cash into things. One of the things they're trying to do is build up their San Diego workforce right in your backyard. And part of that is trying to compete with Qualcomm, at least for Apple's own internal business, uh, on 5G modem. Uh, How are you going to approach that competition what level of confidence that do you have that you can present them with a better product than they're going to be able to create for themselves internally? Look, not surprised. San Diego is a great place to live. And I guess they want to get closer to Qualcomm. I, I don't blame them. Uh, no, at the end of the day, if you really want to work in communications technology and technology in general, Qualcomm is the, way, is the place to be. That's what we do for a living. That you know, we're we're the we're the world's best at in communications and wireless. We have always been. We've been first forever. Every single technology, and we believe was still the place to be. But let me, let me answer your question. Uh, there, there's really two pieces to that. First of all, uh, it's our key mobile strategy going forward with 5G. It's about premium and high tier Snapdragon. You know, it's it's about uh, Snapdragon being equal to Android. Uh, you know, flagship experience and with RF front end attached. That's your number one experience. And as we kind of indicated in the call, when we see, for example, some softness in 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 a supply constrained environment, in for example, in some products, we could replace it with higher value products. When we sell a premium uh, Snapdragon platform, it's multiple uh, times revenue and earnings from from selling a modem. And I think we're very happy with this Huawei addressable market. Most of the Huawei volume the absolute majority of it, of this volume is going to companies like Vivo, Oppo, Xiaomi, and Honor. So it's staying within China, and, uh, and we're, our, our design is strong across the board. The second part of our question, look, we're just at the beginning of the relationship with Apple. We have still a number of years to go. And, you know, we, as you would expect a company like Qualcomm to say, we're always very confident of our leadership in modem technologies. Okay, Uh, let's talk about QCT and the guide. Uh, A a lot of that strong guide was owing to the chip business. At the same time, we're in this environment where at the detail level, at the geography level, it's kind of difficult to predict what's going to happen. We've seen these unfortunate COVID surges in India uh, in places in Europe as well. How much is COVID itself and the degree to which it's under control or not geographically impacting the demand that you're seeing and expecting? Look, this great topic of conversation, and that's, you know, that's allowed me to talk about the second part of Qualcomm strategy. Look, there is 
very clear signs that there's demand for Qualcomm technologies beyond phones. And that is reflected in how we've been diversifying the company. And, and we have more than one growth factors as we think about uh, outside phones. And, and the good thing about that, it's not demand that is just based on people staying home watching TV. It's a whole different, it's a whole different environment. I'll, and I'll break that down for you. Automotive, the automotive transformation is incredible. And the way to think about it is the car companies realize, especially as you think of electrification, the cars are going to be computer on wheels. So if you get a traditional car company plus Qualcomm, you get a Tesla on the other, on the other end. And I think that's what's happening. We're becoming the preferred partner of the digital chassis asset of those companies and reflected in adding another billion dollars to to our automotive i think uh, pipelines now nine billion of contracted revenues the other one is the digital transformation of enterprises enterprises depend at with the pandemic they send everybody home they realized after they connected with everyone they needed to connect their assets and we've seen an incredible speed of acceleration digital transformation reflected in the IoT business. We have two consecutive quarters of a billion dollar revenue and we provide a guide for $1.3 billion revenue. And, and that is just the beginning. The IoT is so broad, I think we're just scratching the surface of this opportunity. Cristiano Amon, uh, look forward to continued conversations as you officially take over as CEO on June 30th. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. All right. Deidre? Well, guys, let's get a check on Endeavor, the Hollywood powerhouse just opening for trade. I spoke with CEO Ari Emanuel about today's IPO. Here's what he told me. We're the largest company, the only company that represents content in the entertainment space, owns content in the entertainment space, owns sports with the UFC and many others, and represent it. There's nobody like us in the world. And uh, I think we're the reopening, plus we have all the experiences, the largest experience company. So we're a, we're a unique company in the marketplace right now and perfectly primed for where the reopening is going. And investors clearly reacting to the company better than they did about a year and a half ago. Shares up nearly 10 percent. And Carl, Ari Emanuel says he's ready to be a public market CEO. He promised that he won't be swearing on the earnings call. A reality check on Amazon's coming up next. But first, uh, uh, more on that Apple blowout quarter as Goldman, Rod Hall, finally ups the rating to neutral from a longtime sell, admitting that he got the iPhone cycle wrong. We're looking for some Apple bears after this break. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon. Time now for a CNBC News update. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio announcing a plan to drop all COVID restrictions on businesses in just over two months. No word yet from New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who claims that this is the decision that's made on the state level. De Blasio says that the city is ready. Our plan is to fully reopen New York City on July 1st. We are ready for stores to open, for businesses to open, offices, theaters, full strength. Because, look, what we're seeing is people have gotten vaccinated in extraordinary numbers, 6.3 million vaccinations in New York City to date. And pending home sales posted their first increase of the year in March. But the 1.9 percent rise was far less than expected, driven in part by ongoing tight supplies of homes for sale. And it is the busiest day of earnings season among the big movers. Caterpillar shares seeing 
some profit taking following a big profit beat. Q1 results were helped by higher demand for construction and industrial equipment. And that is our CNBC News update for this hour. Carl, I'll send it back to you. Yeah, CEO on Mad Money tonight, Rahel. Uh, thanks, uh, Rahel Solomon. Welcome back to Tech Check on CNBC. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Facebook uh, close to the top of the S&P uh, today. I think Dish is the only component that's uh, trading better, up about uh, 5% on Facebook. The rest of Fang is higher. eBay down more than 9% at the open, at least, as the company did issue some disappointing guidance. We talked to Kramer this morning about the competitive pressures they're under. And then Apple, John, uh, open nice, but... Um, basically flat after what we've been talking about all hour long was a blowout quarter. Yeah, speaking of, guys, I'm, I'm looking at our Twitter feed because of crowdsource, and I, I'm a little disappointed. I mean, we've got some answers to the crowdsource today on the bear case for Apple, but n- not enough. So let me prime the pump here, poke the bear, as it were. How about this? This quarter from Apple looks amazing, but it's actually a little less amazing on second glance. iPhone just reads supply-demand balance in the quarter which means Apple isn't going to have to ship as much product into the channel to meet demand when we get the current quarter's results. Plus, Tim Cook said on the call, chip shortages are going to be more of an issue for Mac and for iPad from here. So we could end up next quarter, guys, with something that looks like what we saw from Netflix this quarter. All of a sudden, oh, well, maybe that was more of a pull forward than everybody thought. John, uh, first of all, it's amazing to me that we have a shortage of Twitter skeptics right now. Where are they? Um, I'll, I'll add to that. There's also a legal backdrop, right? It's courtroom battle with Epic. We seem to, you know, investors seem to have forgotten about that over the last 24 hours. But that is set to kick off. And with services becoming such a key part, 660 million paid subscribers across its services, Apple's cut will continue to be critical, Carl, and you've also got the next product. Is that going to be a home run? I mean, Tim Cook and others have talked about VR and AR. We know Facebook's working on it. Uh, indeed. And on Apple, you know, we always turn to Katie Huberty, uh, the axe over at Morgan Stanley. She does take her price target uh, to 161D, up a cup, a few bucks from 158. But in Katie's view, it's really going to be the September quarter uh, that is going to put to rest, as she puts it, any f- fiscal year, John, any fiscal year estimate risk concerns, which is a couple quarters out and gives them some time to try to make the case for those that are still unconvinced. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not saying we believe the bear case or anything, but it's Thursday. It's on the other hand day. You got to keep it interesting, right, Deirdre? <laughs> we got to keep it a little balanced. And uh, anyways, tweet at us. I want to hear these these bear cases or you can totally disagree with us, as you often do. Meanwhile, a surprising stat on what it's like to work at Amazon next. Plus, we look ahead to earnings tonight. The parade is not over. And later, do not miss CNBC's annual stock draft. Who's taking part this afternoon in just a bit? All-star lineup. Tech Check returns at 2. You working at Amazon again? Yeah. You like it? Uh, Yeah. Great money. That was Frances McDermott in Nomadland, where she plays a seasonal worker at Amazon. And that pay the character is referring to getting a bump in Amazon announcing that it is also increasing hourly pay by up to $3 for over half a million of its operational employees in the United States. LinkedIn also naming the company as the top place where Americans 
want to work. Keep in mind, earlier this month, Amazon faced its biggest unionization effort at an Alabama warehouse. We covered that very closely. And guys, we will be getting a look at how and if these labor issues are impacting the company's financials after the bell, when it will be releasing earnings. I don't expect it to show up much, Carl. Um, But, you know, that nomad land reading depiction is a generous one. The book that it's based on actually talked about some of the struggles that these gig workers face, these seasonal workers. And it's not just about pay at Amazon. Yes, it pays well, but as the company has become more efficient, we've seen demand spike during the pandemic. There are some real concerns about some of the labor practices and perhaps some of the safety practices at Amazon. Yep, we're going to find out a lot about uh, the, the degree to which the company, John, is following through on really the framework that Bezos set up in his letter. And that, that is that labor structure at the company uh, will change and the degree to which that's going to add friction to a company that is famously uh, adept at using scale uh, you know, in all, all silos. Yeah, but we got some numbers, and uh, numbers are important. This LinkedIn ranking of top places to work isn't just based on where people want to work. It's also based on opportunities to advance, training that's offered. Pay is a piece of it. And by the way, I should mention Microsoft isn't on the list because Microsoft owns LinkedIn, and they think, uh, they think that that would be unfair. But yes, frontline work is hard. There are legitimate issues that are being explored here, but that unionization effort failed big time. And this list, it's an interesting feather in Amazon's cap on a day when they're also raising wages, Deep. At the same time, it's not like Amazon is saying, okay, we feel confident that our workplace is a, you know, gives everyone everything that they need. They did actually act, Carl mentioned, Bezos's annual letter the other day saying that this isn't going to just be a customer-obsessed company anymore. They're going to take into account their employees. Action was encouraging to see yesterday that bump up in pay. Um, there probably will be more talk about it, Carl. And it's interesting to see because, you know, investors in terms of the share price haven't really asked for this. This is proactive on Amazon's part, and that's probably encouraging for workers to see also. Uh, yes. Uh, and that, that, those LinkedIn numbers, as John said, that's eye opening. But a lot will be revealed tonight after the bell. Yep. Now, to the market in general, one of the SPACs that's actually performed well this year, it's an alt-energy play, starts trading today. That is next. But first, Goldman Sachs says it was wrong about Apple. Maybe too much of a bear case over there, especially after this quarter. Want to know why? Subscribe to CNBC Pro for that and a lot more. Tech Check returns in two. Smart energy storage company STEM going public via SPAC today in a merger valuing the company whose clients include the likes of Facebook and UPS at about three and a half billion dollars. I sat down with CEO John Carrington ahead of that first trade to talk about how the company planned to put the money to work. Have a listen. We've built the market leader in the AI space for energy storage, and this will allow us to now finally grow into new markets that we really didn't have the balance sheet as a venture-backed company to do in the past. And what's really exciting about it is all of those great partners that got us here are rolling their positions, and so they will help us grow into new markets. And these are large energy Fortune 500 companies in Europe, South America, and Asia. So it really helps position the company to go tackle this massive addressable market. 
With the stock up more than 160% since the announcement, it is beating CNBC's SPAC index by a huge margin, but shares are almost 50% off their highs of the year and sharply lower today. You can check out that full interview at cnbc.com slash tech check. John. Great stuff. And now a quick note on IBM as we head to break, making an acquisition today. Turbonomic, uh, believed to be valued more than a billion dollars. It's focused on IT automation. Uh, looks like it could be IBM's biggest buy since Red Hat. And for those keeping score, it's IBM's 11th hybrid cloud and AI-focused acquisition under CEO Arvind Krishna. After the break, Verizon looking to sell AOL and Yahoo for about half what they bought them for not so long ago. What went wrong? after the break. Take a look at shares of eBay falling more than 10% to earnings and revenue beat, but it's the outlook that is concerning investors today. The company warning that the pandemic sales boost it saw could soon begin to fade away. A similar story to Pinterest or Netflix how much 2020 growth was just a pull forward of future sales. The CEO will be on Squawk on the Street Monday. John. Yeah, I mean, I look at this. You don't count these companies out necessarily, but I mean, look at GameStop. But you look at eBay. It's now worth a quarter of Shopify, a quarter of Shopify, once seen as, you know, the the e-commerce retail, perhaps number two to Amazon. Now, not so much. I keep thinking back, Carl, to when eBay kind of spun off, sold off GSI Commerce. The business of that was supposed to be arming smaller businesses and larger businesses, too, with e-commerce tools to compete against the big guys. Sounds a lot like Shopify. It's a good idea. Maybe they shouldn't have spun it off. Maybe they should have innovated on Mm. it. Yeah, we'll see what Jamie says on Monday. And to Kramer's earlier point this morning, uh, the degree to which they are willing to make some maybe expensive investments in some uh, peers uh, to catch up. We'll we'll hear more about that later. In the meantime, once again, the poster child of the first Internet bubble is back on the block. Julia Borston's back. Talk about this Verizon media asset story. Hey, Julia. Hey, Carl. Well, no comment from Verizon, but a source close to the situation confirms that Verizon is giving up on its plans for its media assets, including Yahoo and AOL, and is in talks to sell them. My source says it's in talks with Apollo and two other private equity firms, and it's expecting to arrive at a deal worth between $4 billion and $5 billion as soon as next week, with Verizon likely retaining a minority stake in the company. We reached out to Apollo and got a no comment. Now, this comes as Verizon looks to divest its non-core assets and invest in Spectrum for its high-speed wireless offerings. Now, Verizon bought those two companies, AOL and uh, Yahoo, for more than $9 billion and has already written down about half of that value. And that is a long way from back in January of 2000 when the two companies, then both public, had a combined value of more than $300 billion. Verizon's media business, which also includes news sites such as TechCrunch, last year reported nearly 6% decline in revenue. John? Julia, uh, it, it's interesting to think what went wrong at Yahoo because it's, it's too easy to think, oh, it was doomed to fail. But IAC is a $22 billion market cap right now. Yahoo could have at least been that. And they had good people. Dan Rosenzweig running Chegg right now, which is doing quite well. He was there. Jeff Weiner, a lot of people forget, you know, uh, grew LinkedIn. He was there. Jimmy Pataro, who we just had, you had on just a couple days ago. He was at Yahoo. They had good people. What happened? Yes. 
Well, look, there are so many different stories wrapped up in, into this news today. But also just more recently, John, the question is what happened to build up its Yahoo Media assets as a real alternative to Facebook and to Google and that digital duopoly, as it's called, in the digital media space. And I think more recently what we've seen is this effort to, to build up those digital advertising alternatives just couldn't compete amid an overall ad contraction and couldn't compete with Facebook and Google and that scale. So, you know, we saw them sell off assets such as Huffington Post. They sold off Tumblr. Do you remember Tumblr? <laughs> so this was already a pared down version of those two companies that they had they had purchased so many years ago. Is this too much skating to the where the puck was? There's a lot of action right now in these businesses, not focusing just on advertising, but diversifying into subscriptions, into courses, things like that. Yahoo would have been in a really good position to do some of that. Um, you know, IAC's done it. Vimeo, you know, did a different model than advertising. Maybe not enough creative thinking when you get to just be a little part of a bigger company and they just want you to generate cash. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Verizon versus AT&T, these are two companies that at their core are about selling mobility, selling broadband and also wireless access. They have gone in such different directions. And I think the fact that we're seeing Verizon try to get rid of these media assets speaks to just how different the strategies have become. Obviously, we had AT&T not only buy and then divest DirecTV, but also make that massive um, deal, you know, with Warner Media now have HBO Max as a key part of their portfolio. And on the other hand, you have Verizon saying, no, we are going to go focus exclusively on our core competency, which is which is wireless and buying up spectrum. Julia, fascinating. Uh, going to be interesting to see uh, developments as they happen. Our Julia talking some VZ. Watch Roku this morning as well. So getting an upgrade over at Webbush. They go to outperform from neutral. 475 is more than 100 bucks where we are right now, ahead of earnings next week. After the break, we will resolve today's crowdsource and try to find the Apple bear case in a minute. Take a look at shares of Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, some other gig economy companies. President Biden's top labor official telling Reuters that most gig workers in the United States should be classified as employees deserving of related benefits. Guys, a reminder that this is still a huge issue for these platforms and any policy shift could raise costs for the companies that depend on these independent contractors such as Uber and Lyft. There have been court battles already on this issue and some victories, but still so many unknowns. And uh, John, both companies will report earnings next week. I do expect to hear more from them on this topic. For sure. It's an important issue. And now it's the final countdown to CNBC's 2021 stock draft returning at 2 p.m. Eastern today. You can catch names like TikTok star Josh Richards, three-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala, they're each going to pick two stocks. So which two performed best between today's close and the Super Bowl, February 13th of 22? Carl, uh, always interesting to watch, fun to watch. Whose picks go up and down? It's going to be good. Uh, with uh, Kramer, I think, as a ref, it's going to be good to watch this year. Uh, it's time for your answers to our crowdsource today. We asked you to make your best 
bear case for Apple. Multiple responses today saying the company's big beat means higher expectations and thus easier misses in the year to come. And what user missed the dip calls an expectations treadmill. Another few users pointed to China as a potential weak spot alongside the Epic Games lawsuit, which you talked about, and other regulatory headwinds. Finally, user Haligonian 4 with a different response, the pandemic ending, meaning fewer virtual meetings and more traditional uh, non-iPhone forms of entertainment. John, uh, without Rod Hall at Goldman, we got to turn to someone. Yeah, but even on the expectations treadmill, Carl, you can still use your Apple Watch. So maybe, maybe that's okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, stay tuned tonight for Amazon and Twitter and energy names in the morning. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern.